the trigger uh, of liberation is is wisdom in the Buddha's teaching. Um, this means you don't actually have to the, the, that particular place where place of wisdom. You don't have to do anything. Uh, wisdom isn't about doing anything. Uh, it's knowing and seeing. Clarity, insight, discernment. Mm. So wisdom, sometimes panya, is not really an intellectual activity of some kind. It's not, an, it's not an, uh, thinking something through with the mind. It's not, not doing anything with the thinking mind. Um, so the English word wisdom sometimes is strained to try to cover this fullness of this. And it's uh, because the wisdom is that which leads to the release of activity, the cessation, the peace, the rest, the ease, nibbana. Uh, so we might say wisdom is the is the moment or the culmination of wisdom is this moment when we see there's nothing to do, nothing we have to do, nothing we have to understand or think, figure out, sort out, solve, fix, make, destroy, nothing to do. Oh, stop. This is uh, the um, Nibbana, stopping Niroda, stopping of activities, or sometimes called cessation of sankharas, or stopping of activities, stopping of formations. So, this particular um, word, sankhara, is a crucial word in the teachings and difficult to translate, and we allude to it many times. It's these karmic activities, it's the inner bubbling, pushing, driving, struggling, making, figuring, coming up into the thinking mind, where it's the activation of the heart, we, we are emoting, uh, moves flying, you know, moving up, welling up, or it's something happening in the body, the tingling, sense of pressure in the body, sense of um, you know, surges, reflexes, these flushes and things happening in the bodily sense. It's the stopping of this, rest of this, or we might say the rest or the stopping of that, um, which is other than just purely the kind of functional thing. Obviously we can that's when we're getting, we can find ourselves overwhelmed, flood surging up, or retracting, sinking back, contracting, going hard or tight, emotionally or physically, or getting flustered, um, in some sense or another. And these all these sankaras are raging and flying around, and we can directly equate this with a sense of stress, suffering, misery, helplessness frustration, anger, whatever, you know, dukkha. So it doesn't, you can quite recognize, you see sankhara in this way as that which is, you know, contribute, contributes to dukkha, 
So the cessation of dukkha is the cessation, stopping of these activities. Suffering is something that we we do, mm. not something that's just dumped on us, but something that we we do. You know. um, we resist, we fight, we complain, we, we grudge, we hang on, we resent, we lunge out. Um, you know. Sometimes we don't necessarily act on those things externally, but internally these kind of twitches and surges and retractions that can be going on a lot of the time. And the thinking going on, uh, how we can best strategize that. Mm. All those things can kind of we can find something we can get into or things we can avoid or um, you know, make it nice for ourselves and get away from things. So all this, this kind of endless manipulations of the thinking mind um, themselves are suffering because they're not, it's not restful, is it? To actually continually be getting an angle on things and planning and figuring out and strategizing and, you know, And then when it you know, when it's actually starting to be verbalised you know, between people, it's like a continual fencing match. Who can get one over on the other one, or how we can best you know get my end in better than you know what I mean? All that stuff going on, causing conflict between people. So it quite as it constantly manifests in the way we speak and the way we measure each other and you know act in those ways. We can see how these sankharas cause such conflict and contention and taking of positions and judging and blaming and wheedling and manipulating going on. Mm, so this is not some kind of remote esoteric experience. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term that may be foreign to us, but it's, it's a very potent, realizable term. And just consider, when, if that wasn't there, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> if we didn't have to do that, we could just rest, wouldn't that be nice? So the Buddha's teaching is, is towards that, and saying the real rest of that is through, is through wisdom, not through another set of activities that you have to do to stop doing these set of activities. So it's rather, you know, because you can see what a merry-go-round that is, like rushing around trying to wipe up your own footprints. <laughs> of course, the more you move, the more footprints you create, and so on. Mm. So these sankara, kind of activating principle agencies within our experience, within consciousness, and within. Um, the experience of being conscious is active and it, our consciousness acts in a way that it, it, we find the form, Sankara formulates a form it says oh picks out visually from a whole range of light and shade particular discrete objects that seem to stand out so when you look around you see people and chairs and you know, pillars and lights, actually it's just a, an undifferentiated, there's no gaps between these things, it's just a continual, you know, field of vision, isn't it? But the consciousness picks out and says, oh, this is this, this is six metres away, and that's ten metres away, and this is Joseph, and that's Carol, and that's a chair, and that's, you know, 
and picks out these things, so it forms. So it's all get that bit, that's the bit. And then within that, you know, so you see how something does that. It isn't just the eyes doing that. The eyes just see light and shade. So something forms them, forms the objects. This is Sankara, this is an energy within consciousness that form, forms things. Then we get the feeling comes up, pleasant, agreeable, disagreeable. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's pushy, isn't it? You feel it's got an energy to it, pushes. Then we, f- we get very much mesmerized by that. You know, where the feeling is, that's where your attention goes. So something formulates the feeling as pleasant or unpleasant, and then that formulation then has its own activity, it tends to pull attention, just as a form does. So these are kind of like a vortex, these sankharas. They both create something and then pull attention into that and, and deepen it. So we get obsessed about a particular form, we focus on it, we get fascinated by it, we see the details of it, and then this process of it's called proliferation. We fondle it, or we see the unpleasant, and we see all the difficult things in that. Yeah. So it continually increases the form of the form, and the intensity of the feeling that can come out of that. When you feel something, you feel a you have a splinter in your finger, the rest of your body kind of disappears. There's only a finger, you just feel like a gigantic finger with a splinter in it. <laughs> and if you've had that on your little cut on your, on your finger, and you find out somehow the rest, this is the thing that you use most, is this finger with a cut in it. Whichever finger you cut, that would be the finger that you find you use most. Because you know, it always seems to be getting snagged in something. Why is that? Because the feeling. Other fingers feel pretty neutral, and that one flares up. So that's the one we really notice. So then we can get really, you know, oh, make a big thing out of physical feeling. But our attention just homes in on it. And then you get the perceptions, formulates perceptions. Yeah. Uh, these are the, the significance of something. This is killing me. This is unbearable. This is, I've probably got speedy or thrombolotis. Yeah. Or post-spedial thrombolotus, you know, which there are no known cures. Has anybody discovered a cure for post-spedial thrombolotus? I bet they haven't, because they've never even discovered the disease yet. <laughs> but I'm suffering from it. <laughs> you know, because I've got this funny sensation going on in my body with a feeling associated with it, so it must be one of those. Yeah. Or we can make them together. Oh, it's probably some sense of probably some primal psychic wound. It's probably deeply buried grief. Oh no, it's not. It's a button on my shirt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you know <laughs> this proliferation around uh, perception, which intensifies them. Think, oh goodness, you know it's because I got this problem, and you know my mother. And Oh yes, that's funny situation with a dog, and this is pain. It reminds me. That's what it is. It's all buried, deeply buried tension and grief. And you find out. Oh no, it's, uh, it's, I've got a 
I left the car keys in my pocket. <laughs> Doesn't sound too impressive, does it? So, you know, we, the mind can kind of intensify the significance of everything. And this is formulating perceptions. And then it, as a formula, perception is formulated, we get more and more detail and engrossed in it. And our lives, you know, get start to, to line up in terms of these intensifications. Mm. You know, the, the intensification experience is how the, the sankharas wind up, intensify perception, feeling, consciousness, and intensify themselves. So, you know, you, you, you find your mind getting stirred up, then you get, oh, I'm the, per- I'm the kind of person who's got a really stirred up mind, I've got a real problem here. You know, so you intensify intensifications. Oh, a very intense character. So I can become less intense. So, you know, it's all the, so you get this Sankara's formulate and intensify everything. And then, you know, suddenly you're a really dense being. You're walking around, you're a whole story. You know. You're a 3D movie walking around. You know, you don't have anything happening. I'm already happening. I'm full of being me. You know. It's a major occupation. <laughs> Which is loaded, stacked with significance. You know. Uh, and that's the way you experience it. You know, on one level you can look at this as kind of incredibly insignificant little blob of pinkness in some vast billionfold cosmos, you know, immeasurable light years of this, that and the other, but somehow it all revolves around me, you know. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> A few bit players walk on stage now and then, but actually it's all around me, you know. Oh, so the, you know, sankara is the things that we're, we're we're doing. Being, being, just being is a big, big sankara. It's a big doing experience. We're doing our being. Um, and then what, what actually are we doing in that? Well, there's, well, there's, there's obviously there's wanting, wanting something, wanting to have something, wanting to take something pleasant sense object or another, wanting to avoid pain, that's a big thing of what we're doing, pleasure and pain. Even though they're, you know, they're unavoidable really, and they're, they're not retainable, still we keep going on it. And there's something more than that, actually, a lot more than that. Because otherwise it would just be a matter of numbing out, wouldn't it? Liberation just be kind of numbness, no feeling, no sight, no sense. So the Buddha said, well, then surely a deaf, dumb, and blind person would be well on the way to liberation in that case. Just give me enough ether or morphine or something. And certainly there are people who do that, don't they? You know, just something I can just blot out with so I don't feel anything. But that isn't it. Because it hasn't actually solved the more fundamental um, um, cause or ground for 
karma formations, the ground of karma. And this this is um, becoming, being, being itself, being. Mm. Remember that being is actually a doing. Whatever we call ourselves as being is really a series of events, isn't it? You know, emotional events, psychological events, memories. Or the one who this is happening to. So it's either these events themselves, our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations, those events, or the one who it's happening to. This is the what the Sankaras set up in consciousness is, is both of this. Both the this is the events themselves and the one who it's happening to. Uh, and we can recognize actually you can recognise if there were no events then who would they there wouldn't be anybody they're happening to. So the two you know, are really uh, two aspects of the same same experience of consciousness. The events thought and the one it's happening to. Those two are going on. And we normally separate the two. Two different things. So if I could get away from these events, yeah, I'd be alright. I could numb out. Or if I could just um, get away from some events and into others. So, so that sets up the basic form of desire, aversion, wanting to get into, wanting to get away from. And this will always be going on as long as there's that sense of being something. Either being the events which we then struggle to have or get rid of because we feel we are them, or being the one who the events are happening to, who then wants to get away from those events or find other events. And this is what is, um, is called bhava and vibhava, being and non-being. And this is, um, like you say, the fundamental pattern that the sankhara forms in in consciousness, and it's based upon ignorance, not really seeing or sensing or experiencing that there's nothing to be and nobody to be who has to be anything. We don't, it certainly seems that there is somebody here who has to be something or is being something. Mm. And this is, uh, this is the, that something has not been fully understood, not been fully realized. And because of this, this whole thing keeps going. And that takes us beyond just the purely um, sense contact, it takes us into subtle forms of sense contact, such as. Um, Reminds a s- subtle bodily enjoyment, the samadhi takes us into the realms of of ideas, views, persuasions, biases, um, where 
it covers a lot more than just purely external sense contact. Mm. Buddha talked on this many times, but particular sutta that I'll draw from is one called the Dis- Shorter Discourse on the Lion's Roar. <laughs> and this the, the monks were talking about the Buddha's teaching as compared with other people's teaching. And he's saying, well, you know, you could say that then what's the difference? You know, and the Buddha said, well, it's possible that you could say, um, you know, there are things that our Buddha teacher, the Buddha, says um, that that signify that we that his teaching is 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 complete and superlative. What these are that we have full confidence in the teacher. We have confidence in his teaching. We have fulfilled the precepts, and our companions in the Dhamma. And it's in the teaching, are dear and agreeable to us, whether they're laymen or those gone forth. So, you know, you have something like a, the teacher, the Dhamma, the precepts, and the community, the assembly, lay people, gone forth people. It's a sense of bond and affection. So, so this, this shows that our te- teachings are really good because we've got all this. And Buddha said, you know, even, even with that, you could say that other teachers and other teachings have that too, could have that too but there's something further than that um, and then he begins to, to give this discourse and it's often the case he first talks about how you know, a series of questions and he said well if you, you know, people are asking you do you think the goal is, concer- is about passion and craving or not and they say well it's, no it's not about passion and craving is it about hatred no it's not about hatred um, is it about cra- is it about clinging, craving, and so on? And it, each time the answer is, well, of course it's not. It's about the freedom from that. And then he says, is the the is the the one is the goal is there just one goal, one ultimate truth, or many? I said, well, there's only one ultimate truth. There's just the one goal, and it's it's nothing to do with hatred, greed, uh, delusion, clinging, and uh, so on. And then he starts to move beyond what's perhaps most obvious and says things like, um, is it for one who favours and opposes or one who does not favour and oppose? So you, you can recognise, well, if you're favouring something, then in a way um, you must be moving away from something else. So you can't say the goal is one thing because it's, it's dividing into two, isn't it? You know, so the word favouring here is um, anuroda anuroda is like running running along with or flowing along with it and you kind of you give into things you absorb into things so and it says is it is it that is that what the ultimate goal is and say well no it's not can't be that it's not just about you know giving uh, flowing along with everything or, or um, favoring or or getting involved with everything because things by themselves, come and go, they change. Or is it about opposing things or blocking? This is pati uh, um, viroida. It's thoroughly not flowing, blocking. 
blocking everything. And you can feel what these things feel like. When we go along with everything, we tend to get blurred, lose boundaries, um, lose a sense of perspective. You kind of just go along with everything, never really get much reflection on what things are about. So then you can actually just, you can find yourself times when you just block everything, you just seize up. And that doesn't feel like liberation or peace either, because you're tight and constricted. Um, so these particular qualities, and then he says, is it for one who delights and enjoys proliferation, which is this tendency that I was talking about earlier, where your, your mind confabulates and formulates and proliferates around things, and they say, well, no, it's not about that. So, so he says, okay, so it's not about favoring opposing, it's not about proliferation. Um, and then he says, well, there are two particular views, and this is the bhava and vibhava. Um, and those people who, who follow bhava is the, is the sense of being and becoming, if you accept the view of being and becoming, that is, one is something, one should be something, the goal is about being something, uh, becoming something in the future, you know, being some kind of self or entity, then you must be in conflict with the people who say the opposite. It's about uh, not having self, <coughs> not being anything. It's about some kind of dropping out of experience. And if you, if you agree with the sense of dropping out of experience, you must oppose those who feel it's about having some kind of experience or being some kind of experience, being having some kind of event, if you like, or having something that you know, um, and so on. So he says, with either of these, you're bound to get into conflict. So you get into favoring and opposing, and you get into proliferating around what it is that one should be, or what one is or what one isn't, or what the world is or the world isn't, um, and so on. So the mind then gets into proliferation around these things. So he says, well, it's, one should really see that <coughs> any recluse or Brahmins who doesn't understand as they actually are the origin, disappearance, gratification, the danger, and the escape in the case of these two views are affected by lust, affected by hate, affected by delusion, affected by craving, affected by clinging, without vision given to favoring and opposing that they delight in and enjoy proliferation. They're not freed from birth, aging and death, from sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. They're not freed from suffering, I say. So that, you know, if, if we are um, being something, then naturally, being something you're 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 touched, you're affected. You, you've taken a stand of being, you know, this particular mind state, or this particular emotional state, or this particular st- state of, of clarity or happiness or whatever. Then things there's a certain you're you're, you're sort of affected by. Um, passion to have uh, and enjoy that particular state. So passion is not just purely associated with sense objects, it's also associated with particular subtle states of being. So one starts to fondle and enjoy and sink into 
particular subtle states of pleasure, happiness, distance, safety, whatever that we can develop through spiritual practices. Or, alternatively, you get sense of aversion and uh, contracting from um, certain states. So naturally, you know, we, we find we don't want particular kinds of contact. We find ourselves disturbed, irritated, um, prejudiced against particular sounds or sights or energies that happen. So we get a sense of retracting. Um, so this is why, you know, you, with this being, being something, you're always in a position that then you either enjoy that position and you have to defend that position and you have to repel things that take you out of that position. So you can notice this from the kind of mundane things like when your mind feels peaceful and happy and clear how one just doesn't want to bother with doing things, I don't want to think about anything. You know, I would like to be this state. And then when, you, when your mind feels peaceful and happy and clear, if it ever gets to that state, of course, which is certainly nothing wrong with that in itself, but it's like, I want to have more of it. And it probably means I've, I am something, or I've got something by now. Mm. Yeah, so what's that? Essentially, this is, this is karma. Isn't it? Karma, which is the uh, particular set of activities, skillful activities you might say, have given rise to a residue of some kind happy residue, pleasant residue then I want that residue, that's what I want you know, I want it I want to have it you know, this, is, this is karma cause and effect this is activity giving rise to particular residues and how um, we want to have residues why we don't? Why karma doesn't stop is because we want it. I want, I want good fortune. I want pleasure. I want happiness. I want peace. I want nice things for me. And uh, I'm prepared to re- tidy up my act and have some refined things because spiritual um, pleasure is actually more long-lasting. And uh, you can do it on your own. You don't need to go anywhere. You can just sit down and do it. So that, if you can do it then, of course, this is uh, something you can put a tremendous amount of effort into having. And uh, it's not blameworthy as such, but it's not, it's not a complete liberation. Because the sense of being something has not been penetrated, and therefore one is affected by the favouring of that and opposing of other things. And then from that favouring one starts to infer that one is something or has got somewhere or is not something else. Mm-hmm. And you start to get the kind of positioning spiritual materialism comes in. And it can be the case that then from that position we, we really feel that actually you know, the world and people should really, you know, let me have more of this. I mean, you know, this is noble. I don't see why I shouldn't have more, more of this. I mean, I am important, even though I'm only a little bit in the cosmos, but 
I'm the only one of me that I know, and I really think, actually, the world should cooperate in making me happy. You know? um, and then, you know, so we can get quite the reasons for that, or the rationales behind that, you can make up you know, kinds of thing, causes, but you see there's bound to be conflict there, isn't there? Sooner or later, when the world doesn't do it, as it tends to not do it. Mm. And this Buddha said, this is the best kind of becoming you can get, is this, is getting into this, this is the best thing, this is as good as it gets. And he said, it's still not free from pain, sorrow. And you have to work pretty hard to get to that, actually. You have to get a lot of good, good karmic energy going to get to that. He said, even then it's not, because it is karma, and it leaves a residue. And the whole point of this wisdom understanding is that any residue at all is not worth having. <laughs> because if you have a residue, you become something. If you become something, you are something. It means you, can't, you don't want to be that. And therefore you get into the whole strategy of acquisition and defense and conflict. And I remember quite significantly actually this was a few years ago, Ajahn Sumedho came to me and he said, oh, you know, all these years of meditation, he said, I haven't got anything out of it at all. <laughs> and he said it again slowly, he says, he said, you know, I haven't got anything out of it. He stopped. Mm. <laughs> oh, some kind of Enigmatic statement. Actually, I think he was just saying, I haven't got anything. <laughs> 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 and it sounds so, you think, what a waste of time has been then. That <laughs> 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 one can recognize the, you know, what would it be like if you didn't get anything out of it, you didn't actually want to get anything out of it. That's, that's the rub, isn't it? That's the point. If you didn't need to get anything out of it. And this isn't just purely intellectual exercise. What if there were no pressure, no push, no sense of having to have, no something to favour and delight in? So that you didn't get anything, but you didn't get anything because you didn't want anything, you didn't need anything. Ah, that sounds interesting. And how how is this possible? Well, you recognize that um, being or becoming something is associated with clinging, sticking. So we, we con- when we just contemplate the conscious process, there's things that happen, and then something, whatever we're doing or not doing, or at the moment of contact, you con- something contents, something touches you. Yeah. You experience the, the thing that you're touching, and something's, how, how, am I, how am I with this? So you touch something, how am I with this? Is that all right? Yeah. What's that? How do I feel about this? Yeah. You, you touch something, is that, is that pleasant? Is that okay? Or you talk to somebody, talking, listening to them, something starts going, how am I with this? Am I all right? Yeah. Okay. Is it, is it bothering me? Is it going to be okay? 
Am I winning? Am I losing? It's sort of an internal reference to what's happening to me. There's that, and then there's the me bit. Hmm? And then it starts to get good. Oh, right, I'm on a winner. And then we start to get on a roll, don't we? What we're doing, I don't know, something we're contacting. We, we've, we've come to a place where we feel an agreeable sense of contact, and then we stay in that and fondle that and go along with that and don't want that to stop. I want to make more of that. I want to dwell in that. I want to treasure it. I want to feel we can get back to it again and want to remember it. You know, and be, you know. So we go into these kind of lovely, you get these lovely flow experiences where suddenly the contact seems to be really agreeable and all the messages are coming back. You're doing all right. You're a winner. This is working for you. I want that. So it's not just the actual con- the pleasure itself, but the sense of success, of being competent, of having acquired something, having a little bit of a bank account, a memory I can, I can remember. You know, at least once I had it. So this is the, the thirst for a residue. Even though, you, and this sometimes happens when you meditate, you know, you have a good retreat, a great retreat, with brilliant insight, really good samadhi, and you spend another ten years trying to get it back again. And that trying to get it fouls up your meditation until eventually you're going, oh, oh, I can't do this stuff anymore, who cares anyway, what a waste of time. Suddenly, <laughs> you know, it feels all fresh and bright again. Because we, we, you know, we, we cling, and then we want to get back to what we've clung to, because it, it's this sense of being something. You know, it solidifies us, gives us a story, gives us a role, gives us a position, gives us an identity. And this is the most fundamental thing. Going, it's not purely pleasure, but the sense of being somebody. That's the that's the that's the residue. That's the final prize. And of course, it's a, a slippery one because we do keep be, we do keep being somebody, but who I keep being isn't always good news. No, sometimes I'm not doing all right at all. And a good patch, and then whoops, lost it, lost it, definitely lost it. There, you know, right, and try and pull myself back upright again. Okay, I'm okay now, and then, whoops, I hope nobody saw that, I'm losing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wobbling around, isn't it? The, the sense of being something. And the general inclination is if I could just really get it so, so I'd always be on a winner, you know, confident, debonair, agile, bright, witty, glowing, ebullient, modest as well. <laughs> 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 you name it, it's all there, you know. That would be it, wouldn't it? The pure peak. So, uh, and of course, you can just keep adding the adjectives. As you go, this is papancha, proliferation. Just keep adding more and more to it. Um, so we can see, actually, this, this is the, um, the passion, the lust for being. And then sometimes it's, the, it's the, exactly the opposite. You want to just get away from experiencing anything. Stop that, not have this, not be seen, not be noticed, be nobody, be even more nobody than nobody, be the least nobody, 
He's such a nobody that doesn't even, nobody even knows that you're nobody. <laughs> no. So, this kind of instinct that we can have, and that, that can happen too. You know, it can be almost one moment to the next. Sense of being left alone, not touched, not seen, not known. And that can proliferate, go on. So these, this, these are called views. They're not just opinions. They're much more than just thought processes. They're real biases. And you see, they're always the, they come there, Sankara's form around those, and Sankara's are the energies that bring those into, into life, you know, into, into the conscious process. Because of not really seeing this, this experience of being something that um, is uh, activities that have got something to work on. Karma arises because we want to be something, and we keep feeling we are being something, but it isn't quite enough yet. So if we just did a little bit more, we get it. So it takes. This is quite a profound, um, deep experience, very embedded experience behind all our events. So naturally, in meditation, or kamatana or bhavana cultivation, then we really want to kind of clear some of the picture so we can see into this fundamental experience. We're not just getting distracted. It's not really the topics that we become, but the very energy of it itself. And so you can, you can get lost in the stories rather than who's writing them. Um, so naturally, our lives tend towards, as cultivators, towards just trying to simplify, put aside what's unnecessary, straighten things out so we have the least amount of regret and agitation going on and then developing um, samadhi meditation, calming, stilling the mind. So you begin to really see into the the, uh, process that's right there in samadhi. Samadhi is the best thing to become. Mm. And then you have the process of insight. Mm. So one process is samatha, which is the calming, steadying, make you feel good, take you into a good place of being something. And the other process is insight, which is just reviewing that and reviewing that. Who, who's in there? Who gets anything? Mm. What does it feel like to have something? Does it feel good? Does it feel slightly tense having something? Like you've got to hold it? bit prickly, possessive. Does that feel good? Does it feel good when you're resisting something, holding it off, getting righteous about it? Does that feel good? Is it possible to really sense the, the holding, the clinging as a form in itself and relax? In a way it's extremely simple. 
In a way, of course, it's extremely tricky because the react the sankharas are so embedded, so we're so reactive. So we you can't think like in that terms of letting go. You think, well, you should let go. No, no, no. It's not you should let go because that that's a sankara, isn't it? That's a pressure there. You should be someone who'd let go. You know what you should do. You haven't let go yet, have you? He's let go, and she's let go, but you haven't. When are you going to do it? Well, that's that's sankara. So sometimes, you know, it's almost like really just seeing or reviewing the stuckness as that. So there's a lot of almost openness and um, compassion in it. You see the stuckness as it is. See, it's, it isn't anybody stuck to it. And it, it's nothing to stick to because stuckness is always, always like trying to hold something. And when we find out what we're trying to hold isn't here, you know, the happiness, the the friendships, the clear spaces isn't here yet because you know, the very quality of clinging damages it. So you know, then a sense in which it releases itself. We see that the, the fallacies that support it the sense that if you could be something, you would be completed, finished, happy, peaceful. And you see that actually being something is not never going to be happy or completed or finished because it's always going to be hanging on, fondling, dwelling in, trying to make the world support it. There's always going to be that kind of code somewhere in there. And because there we begin to, through the purification of the mind that occurs with meditation, you begin to get a sense that letting go is possible. You can let go of sense pleasures, you can let go of mental agitation, you can let go of grudges and grievances, you can let go of distraction. You know you can do it. And it's taking that letting go right to the, to the end of the, the process. You need to be very open about it. So insight is like that. It's it's where the karma starts. No, or resist. Just just to feel it. You know, do it deliberately and feel it. And something you can always something you really don't want to be with right now and you bring it up in your mind, you feel yourself tightening up about it. And then you know, work tomorrow, oh no. You get a tightening. You get some business meeting tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> you know, you feel yourself going shrivel up. You know, it's all nice and expanded now. Mm. Compulsive duty and tighten up. You really do it. You know, actually, most of us don't have to try too hard because it's happening. You know, something there or something I could get and uh, tightening is it possible to see that we're tightening around something that isn't actually here it's that our own 
karmic sankharas are, are generating that right now as a perception. Something might be deliberately created for you. Like a business meeting or work tomorrow or some or nice beach in California. Oh yes. So, you know, dong perception comes up and you intensify around that. Sankaras get going on it, produce it as the terrible experience or the wonderful experience, and you think the whole thing tighten up. But actually it isn't it isn't there. Even when it's there, it isn't there. You see what I mean? <laughs> you know, when you're in your business meeting, actually, it isn't that. You can make it that way, but it's actually just a thought and a feeling and a sensation, just like everything else, and energies and so on. Uh, nobody, nobody tells me this next time I complain about going to a business meeting. <laughs> You know, I remember when I was uh, traveling in my youth, these, these fantastic places we would be going to. So you're traveling and you go, people say, oh yeah, you go to Istanbul, it's really great. Well, fantastic, Istanbul, yeah, yeah great, Istanbul, mosques, you know, Turkish coffee, whatever, it's Istanbul. You get there, yeah, it's mosques and Turkish coffee, but <laughs> so what, yeah, you know, and there's other things, there's people and flies and buses and noise and you know get out of here so yeah you know you really want to go it's it's um afghanistan it's really mountains you know um cheap food and something they go there ah, it's, you know it's there but uh, fly blown cafes more traffic people hassle noise sickness so forth oh you really want to go to go to india india really where it's at india you know it's serene yoga meditation spiritual um, clear space, and you go there. Yeah, it's like that. There's also it's flies and traffic and noise <laughs> and people again. So you know, go as the place to be. Sandy beaches, plenty of space, freedom. Do what you like. Go there. Yeah, it's like that. There's all people and noise and flies. <laughs> so, <you know laughs> and the irritation and the frustration and the craving in your mind and the resistance and having an argument with somebody and not quite getting this what you wanted and feeling a bit rough on having a headache and you know yada 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 it's the same it's there but it's not there so you know even when you even when you get what you want it's not what you want because what you want was just the dream And who's con- and the person who's and we're even more telling than that, you know, we begin to see that the events themselves are not really the point. It's a sense of this this poor little orphaned self stuck out in his universe, trying to find a, some place to find a refuge in, a place you can curl up in, some place you to get a decent um, experience happening in. He isn't there either. You know, when you look into that, what's that? You can feel passions, cravings, sadness, you know, extensions of the heart this way or another. Isn't anybody there? This is how the process of of just wisdom, really looking into that, is the release, because we see that the whole process of, of activity and clinging is based upon not seeing.
So insight is, is really bringing your awareness onto the most the contact edge of experience, where it's refined, subtle, external, internal, just right at the point of contact where experience is happening, and see who's getting born there, who's, who's getting something out of this, who's resisting it, mm-hmm. and who's planning for the next move in the moment of contact. So insight sometimes isn't even really meditation. I was looking, Jintani uh, was giving some reading this morning, and the Sariputta becomes an arahant just listening to the Buddha give a talk about hanging on to views about this very topic. He wasn't even meditating, you know. Standing there fanning the Buddha, listening. He was an accomplished, skilled meditator. He knew how to direct his attention. He was just focusing on what the Buddha was saying and got it, you know. So it it really is that it's not without meditation, because meditation is the way where you you both cultivate the skillful realm of being and you develop a mind and attention that can focus on a point get and then but the wisdom tells you where to where to focus uh, and then where insight will arise it's the place the interface where we start where all the proliferation can occur and the sense of self occurs this is the place for wisdom